Coming up tomorrow, of course, we have the federal budget, right? Uh, it'll be delivered tomorrow afternoon, and it's going to be watched for all kinds of reasons. We know there's a lot of spending promises in there. What about defense? But also, beyond that, how is it going to work with this new arrangement that we've been talking about between the Liberal Party and the NDP um, to sort of walk through how it works and what we might expect, at least what they're expecting. We're going to chat now with Daniel Blakey, who is an NDP MP, the finance critic from Manitoba. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So, of course, we have the federal budget coming down tomorrow, and a lot of people are saying this will be sort of the first test of this arrangement that's been hammered out between the Liberals and the NDP. Do you see it that way? Is is this sort of, a, I don't want to say make or break moment, but a very important moment in the, in this new arrangement? Yeah, I think I think it is fair to say that it's the first test of the agreement. Um, obviously, you know, well, first of all, I'd say for listeners who are interested, that's a public agreement and they can find that online. There's a number of things that are stipulated for 2022. Some of them have to do with legislation on certain matters. Others have uh, directly to do with spending. Uh, the big item, of course, is getting started on a dental care program. Uh, and the commitment in the agreement is to begin offering uh, dental services to children 12 and under whose families don't currently have any kind of dental coverage. Um, so there is going to be spending reacquired for that. And that's obviously something that we're looking for, as well as a number of other uh, items having to do with, you know, everything from housing to climate change in that uh, agreement, uh, where we've been promised a movement uh, in this year. Yeah. I, and I, you know, we know that the dental care is, is sort of the headline, one of the, the things that will be closely watched. But let's walk through a couple of the other ones. You talk about the Canada housing benefit. I know there was talk about that. What are you looking for in the budget tomorrow? Well, what's in the agreement is a one-time $500 top-up for this year uh, on on the Canada housing benefit. And that's, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm sure your listeners know what's going on in the housing market. It's been, it's been incredible, and there's been a lot of pressure, not just because of the rising prices, but also because of all the disruption that the, that the, that the pandemic has brought and, uh, you know, job loss and layoffs reduced hours, and that's made it really hard for people to be able to make their monthly rent. So we're still in a period where there's a lot of people who are requiring that little bit of extra help in order to be able to make rent, and uh, and, and we believe strongly it's important for the uh, federal government to continue uh, pitching in. It's also important for them to begin to address the supply side issues that are, you know, an important driver of housing costs across the country, and that's why there's an extension of the Rapid Housing Initiative for another year that's covered in our agreement, as well as a number of other uh, proposals uh, for for how to start getting a handle on a really you know a really long standing and a problem that is getting worse, yeah. not 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 uh, better. You no, know, it's certainly not. Have only skyrocketed during the pandemic, and they were already on a really bad trajectory before that. And we need to find a way to start reining this in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a pressing issue for sure. Um, what about pharmacare? I know that was talked about a lot when this agreement was announced. It was one of the headline issues, uh, according to Drug Meet Singh. What are you, are you expecting anything on that tomorrow? Well, I, what we've lined out in the agreement for 2022 is beginning to get the legislative framework in okay, place. Okay, so no spending not necessarily. I think you know there may be some there may be some money in terms of resourcing some of those initial conversations. But the first piece that was really the, the highlight of the agreement was was a legislative piece. Uh, Pharmacare is one because there are already different kinds of of plans across the country at the provincial level that don't 
that don't cover everybody. Uh, and there's different terms and conditions. Some have copays, some have premiums, some have deductibles, some have mixes of all those things. There's obviously going to be uh, you know, a lot of important conversation that has to happen with the uh, provinces. So there's some, there's some work to do there. And the idea of getting a legislative framework in place is to start that work. And then the other items on, on Pharmacare for the life of this agreement is to start getting uh, work done on a common formulary and to begin uh, some of the bulk purchasing work, which is some of the most important work because it's where there's the opportunity to save money. And I think that's something that is important for people to understand about a national pharmacare program. Yes, it's absolutely about expanding service, making sure everyone in Canada has access to prescription drugs. But if it's done properly, what it means is that Canadians can spend up to $4 billion a year, less than what we're already spending on prescription drugs while expanding coverage. And I think that's one of the great virtues of doing pharmacare together as a country than separately uh, as provinces and territories. Um, Daniel, lots of talk about new spending initiatives, you know, with dental care and housing initiatives and pharmacare. And, you know, a lot of people get upset and worried about that. What about the revenue side? Was there any agreement, was there any arrangements to increase revenue um, based on things that NDP have talked about around taxation or anything like that? Um, Where does that fit into this agreement? There was an agreement around revenue, and if you look at the agreement, what you'll find is that, uh, you know, where, where the big push in the agreement is, is on a platform commitment of the Liberals around uh, adding uh, an additional tax to the, to the bank and insurance industry that have seen incredible uh, profits during the uh, pandemic. And, of course, some of those profits are connected to some of the support that there was for that industry during the pandemic. We've been very clear, we think, that industries that, uh, that, that did phenomenally well during the pandemic, as some have, need to be paying their fair share. There are many other revenue ideas, and I think this continues to be an important difference between Liberals and, and, and New Democrats, that we think there are other things that government could be doing in order to pursue more revenue. We think that's an important part of bringing balance to the federal books, particularly when you keep in mind the Parliamentary Budget Officer issued a report at the end of last year that says now 1% of, of Canada's population owns or controls about 25% of all the wealth that's generated in the country, and their effective tax rate tends to be lower than middle 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 class Canadians who are who are going to work every day and paying their taxes. Something has to be done about that, especially when you consider that the same report says just one percent of the Canadian population is sharing forty percent of the wealth that's that's generated by the country. So you think about or forty percent uh pardon me of the population is sharing one percent of the wealth that's generated. So there's a real inequality and in how the wealth that we produce as a country is is being shared and people at the top are paying far less of the tax bill share than they did 30 or 40 years ago. So something has to be done about that. We are pushing for a lot of those measures. What's in the agreement is only what we could get agreement uh, on between us and, and the Liberals. And one of the important uh, things to know is that because it's a confidence and supply agreement, it's not a coalition government, uh, that's because we wanted to reserve the right to continue to push on these things um, because we think that's really important. And there are important differences that remain between Liberals and uh, New Democrats, even though we've found some things that we can work on in this Parliament so as not to jump right back into another election. We just had an election six months ago, and you know, we respect the results of the election, even though we would have liked to have seen an NDP government. We know that we have to play the hand the Canadians deal at election time. 
And I, I don't think most Canadians wanted the last election we had. I don't think anyone will be excited about an election right now. And so it's important to make progress where we can. And the agreement is a roadmap for some of the things that we can find agreement on. We reserve the right to criticize the government and push them on all the things that we that we continue not to agree on. Criticize and, uh, you know, uh, Jagmeet Singh has said it's not a blank check, but you will support this budget in the House when it comes to a vote. The NDP will support this. I, I understand you haven't seen the budget yet, but you are going to vote in favor of it regardless, correct? Or is there a line that could be crossed? Well, I mean, if you, if you look at the agreement, one of the things that's up near the front is a no surprises policy. And I think that's important for political stability because there is the possibility that the government in pursuing its own priorities, ones that we don't share, uh, could present something that we don't find acceptable. So the idea is that if that were coming, that we would get a heads up. I'm not aware that we've been given any uh, thing, uh, any heads up on something that, that, that would be a red line for us. And so I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to have a budget that we can. Hello, Daniel. Hmm. Had Daniel? Now we don't. Not sure what happened there, but uh, completely lost the call. Appreciate him joining us, though, for as long as he could. Uh, Daniel Blakey, the NDP finance critic from Manitoba, was good enough to call us back. Uh, Daniel, I appreciate you getting back in touch with us. I don't know what happened, but we ju- you just drop Hello. right out there. That's no worries. I don't know what happened either, but uh, but happy to be back. Yeah, I, I just had <laughs> one or two more questions, and, and I guess one of them is, and you say you, know, you, you keep referring to the agreement, which you write as public and we can all access it, um, and that's what you seem to be basing your expectations for tomorrow on. So am I to take it then there's there's no consultation, right? It's not like the NDP are involved in the budget formulation process. You don't have a seat at the table here? That's right. I mean, you know, Jigmeet wasn't sworn into the Privy Council. We're not we're not part of the government. So there's certainly been some conversations about our expectations and some of those conversations were part of coming to that agreement. Um, so it's not like there's no talk at all, but uh, but you know, we're not inside government that's where the information about the budget uh, belongs, and that's where it stays. So uh, we are looking forward to, to seeing the budget tomorrow, and, uh, and, and you know, we, we will see what happens. But I think we are quite confident that, you know, there's been good communication around our expectations. I think the agreement is, is quite clear in terms of what we're expecting to see. So I'm confident that things are going to go well tomorrow. But, of course, uh, as so many things in uh, politics... Uh, you never know until until you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and we're all waiting to see what happens tomorrow afternoon. Um, in the next half hour, we're going to be speaking with an economist. And I've just, I, I can't tell you how many texts I got, Daniel, from people saying, what about the cost of this? What about the debt? Inflation is through the roof. Interest rates are going to go up. Debt is going to get more expensive. Is there any consideration inside that room among the NDP or the Liberal or in your own caucus about we need to try and control our spending here. Things are getting so expensive, and it's only going to get worse as we go down the road here. Well, sure. And, I mean, that's where you know, we were talking earlier about some, some of the revenue proposals that, that the NDP has. So we continue to, to raise those. I think that's an important part of the equation, and we're trying to impress that upon the uh, Liberal government. But I would say this, too, which is that, you know, you can clear a deficit from, from the public books if that's by not helping people access dental care, if that's by not investing in housing, if it's by not investing in many of the things that we need to, you're really just pushing that deficit off the public ledger and onto the household budgets of individual Canadians that are already strapped. So, you know, dental care is about making sure that people have 
access to something that they really need, but it's also about making room in their household budget because otherwise that's something that they either have to pay for or do without. And we know that there are long-term costs to not having proper preventative, uh, preventative oral health care. We know that in some cases bad teeth is a barrier for people to getting employment. Whether or not it should be is a separate question, mm-hmm. but the fact that it is is, is well-established. So these are things that we have to find a way to pay for it. We can either do that individually or we can do it together. And I think we're better off working together. I'd say that's a fundamental kind of philosophical premise of the NDP. And uh, so that's very much a part of that conversation. But I would note, you know, I mean, people who often raise concerns about spending and where's the money going to come from in the House are, are our Conservative colleagues. Yesterday, they had a, a motion that said Canada should be increasing its military spending to 2% of GDP. That's an additional almost $30 billion overnight on what we spend spend uh, right now, that's less than a national pharmacare and a national dental care plan combined. So, you know, I do think what we're having is actually a question about priorities. When conservatives want to spend money on things that are their top priority, they're not, they're actually not asking that question. They're suddenly coming up with numbers comparable to our own. And so it's about where you spend that money and, and, and what people are getting for that money. And for me, that's always the, the most important question is, is not just how much are we spending, but what are we getting for what we are spending? And, and that's where I've often been critical of the Liberals. They like to announce big numbers, but the question is, what are you actually getting for that money? Because just spending the money doesn't necessarily solve a problem. You have to have good, good public policy and good follow-through to make sure that you're getting value for money. Fair point. You're absolutely right. We can always find ways to do things better. But, but I think the fundamental thing that, I, you know, especially I'm hearing from my audience, and, and I agree with them, is you can talk about spending the money and, you know, should the government spend this money or, you know, or should we put it on the back of the tax? There is only one tax. It's, our, it's the taxpayer's money, Daniel. Bottom line, no matter what money you're spending, ultimately it's the taxpayer who is footing that bill. So you are literally deciding what you will spend the taxpayer's money on and removing it from their... Um, purview. It's, it's no longer up to them. You're, you're taking money from the taxpayer because this is where you want it spent. And I think that's some of the criticism that's coming in is there's only one taxpayer. It doesn't matter who's paying for it. Well, and, you know, I hear that argument. I, for me, that's one of the excellent arguments for a national pharmacare program. Right now, when you add up what we pay in various provincial and territorial pharmacare programs, and then the cost that Canadians are paying in individual premiums for, for group health plans and a bunch of other stuff, Canadians spend $24 billion every year on prescription drugs. The cost of a national pharmacare program is $20 billion. So even though that's adding to the federal ledger, you're quite right. There's only one taxpayer, yeah. and there's only one consumer at the end of the day. By doing it collectively through the federal government, we could be spending $4 billion less per year. So it's exactly because there is one taxpayer that I think a national pharmacare program makes a lot of sense, because that's $4 billion that can be assigned to other priorities. Daniel, I appreciate you calling back, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Thank you very much for having me. Have That's, a great day. You too. That is Bye-bye. Daniel Blakey, an NDP MP and the finance critic for the NDP party uh, in Manitoba.